The Jimmy IV Sexy Cool Lounge is an inspirational podcast spreading positive energy and only good vibes into the universe through personal discovery, empowerment, and self-love awareness. Now, please join me in the Sexy Cool Lounge with our creator and host, Jimmy IV. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you might be listening to this episode. And may your vibe be cruising at an altitude that is so sexy cool. So as always at the beginning of every one of these episodes, please, thank you. Let me say thank you for giving us a little bit of your time to sprinkle some positive energy and good vibes only on your journey through the universe, right? We are so humble for you just allowing us to just share some of this with you, right? And if you are so inclined, please go back and check out any one of our episodes between one and 106 with this being episode number 107. And you can check out anything in our catalog at the website at www.sexycoollounge.com. And if you're more than welcome to follow the podcast platform or any one of your favorite podcast platforms, we are there. iHeart, Apple, Spotify, you name it, we're there. And on social media, if you are on Instagram, Give us a follow over at Sexy Cool Lounge. And on Facebook, you guys know you can always find me there and on YouTube, all right? So housekeeping is out of the way. And uh, yeah, this is a really heartwarming episode, right? I have a friend who's really doing some truly inspiring things on his mission through the universe, right? And he's doing it through the vibrational frequency of recovery, right? And he's helping other people who need recovery, who are in support of recovery. And man, I can't just feel good about all of the things that he's doing to try to bring some positive energy into this universe through his voice and his mission and his platform. So... Before I bring him in, let me give you just a little bit about who he is, right? And he is the co-host of two recovery podcasts, right? The Way Out Podcast and Recovery Revolution Live, right? And it's his mission, right? And his passion to spread the message of hope to all those suffering addicts, right? It is what he does, and he does it very well, family. So I want you guys to give a warm welcome and listening ear to a good friend of mine, Jason Routine. Jason, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Hey, Jimmy, man. Blessed to be here, bro. How are you? (laughs) Everything is good, man. Everything is good. Uh, We finally uh, got to a place where we could get this... uh, episode recorded um a little behind the scenes that people don't know but we you know we we've been trying to uh make this happen for a minute and uh the universe allowed us to do it today and i'm really happy for that man because you have some things that i feel like need to be said uh within the orbit of my audience and i'm humbled that you have the time and that you have the energy to want to share that with us so i want to thank you very much for uh making that happen on your end i appreciate that Oh man, it's like I said, it's an honor to be uh, invited, and I just love any chance that I get to 
try to spread that message of hope, you know, because people just way too many people don't have it. And it's, it's out there and everybody, there's always hope for anybody, you know, like no matter where you're at in life, you're right where you're supposed to be in this moment. And it's going to be a launching pad or, you know, it's going to teach you valuable life lessons. It's going to help you level up. And it, yeah, I mean, hopelessness, I lived in that place. I lived there. I don't, and I want people to know that you don't got to live like that no more, you know? Absolutely. And that's what we're going to talk about um, within this episode. So, but first things first, before we even get into the meat of why you're here, right? First question out the gate, brother, is Jason, what does sexy cool mean to you? Man, sexy cool. I love that. I love the name of the podcast i really dug that intro man that was tight and you know sexy cool it's like just to me it's like a it's like a calming safe comfortable space like super comfortable right uh where you can just let it all out you can just be unfiltered yourself and not have to you know be self-conscious or have your filters on or none of that stuff, you know, like, cause you can't be sexy unless you can be unfiltered like that. Right. True that. Or feel comfortable enough in your own skin. And then cool is that calming piece. You know, it's just like, hell yeah, this is comfortable and chill. And I love this. And I want to like, I wish things could always be like this kind of vibe. <laughs> so <laughs> I get it, brother. Thank you so much for uh, leaving your footprint on that question. I've asked it a million times, and I can truly tell you that I've never gotten the same answer twice. It's all I in bet. the perspective of the person giving the answer. And that is why I asked that question, because Sexy Cool is all about the state of mind of the individual and how they're radiating that energy out into the universe. It is not materialistic, and it's not anything that is bestowed on you it is how you feel about yourself and you radiate it out into the universe so thank you for leaving your footprint on that question man i really appreciate it no problem man it's a good question it was a pretty cool question it was sexy cool question <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to have you on man because like i said in the intro you know you're doing some really positive impactful things through your mission and your voice with addiction. So the way I want to start this is tell us about your journey and how you got to be in a place where you now want to help others through some of the support that you bring in hope through addiction and also through your two podcasts that you do that cover a range of things with that. So how about we start with just tell us a little bit about your story, brother. Okay. Well, I uh, grew up with a single mother household and my mom was a drinker, partier, uh, you know, when I was little and she got in a motorcycle accident when I was a kid and ended up with like a really bad head injury and she almost died. And then uh, I had to go so I, I was ended up living with family and whatnot. And I, I was a victim of sexual abuse at the hands of my cousin for months 
before I escaped him and finally ran to a neighbor and told him what happened. And that was one of them things that my little mind, you know, couldn't <laughs> wrap itself around and it compartmentalized it and it didn't come out until I was a teenager. Uh, and it, you know, really had a profound effect on my uh, development from that point on. And it, and the trajectory and uh, severity of my addiction, my disease. Uh, but, you know, mom did recover and she wasn't the same, but like I was so young when it happened, man, it was, she was always the same to me. I just, I guess, didn't really know a different version of my mom. You know, I was just glad to have her back and then it was the way it was. So, I don't know, growing up from that point, you know, she ended up meeting a guy, having a couple more kids. Her alcoholism took off. I I pretty much raised my brother and sister from the time I was eight till I was 13. And that, so my childhood was pretty much stripped away from me, you know, at an early age. I don't know. And, uh, I, can't, I became bitter. I think that I, I took up the role when I was in it, and I took it very seriously for, for my brother and sister's sake, uh, you know, cleaning the house, feeding them, changing diapers, all that good stuff. And I was, like, overly responsible at that age. But, you know, once the gloves came off, once mom got in some trouble, once mom had to go to mandatory court-ordered meetings and I didn't even know this until I ended up getting clean myself at 36 years old. And I was a year clean. So I was like 37 she, that she was, she had worked a program before she had done re the recovery thing. I didn't know, but I guess that was why was while, you know, when she became a mom again, you know, that she was going through those things and jumping through those hoops is mandated by the courts. Um, and I capitalized on that, dude. I I was bitter. I was angry. And I I just reigned it over her every chance I got, you know. And, and as a result, I pretty much could do whatever the hell I wanted. Run around, run the streets, and, and come home late or not at all, you know. And, I mean, she would try here and there to, to kind of, like, check me on my stuff, but. I just always guilted her into letting me do my thing. And, you know, I, I always, even back then, I just felt like I got handed such a raw deal in life. So I really connected with other, you know, kids that were jaded, you know, hurt, broken individuals and, and older folks too. Like, I think I tended to hunt, I hung out with older folks and yeah, I mean, I got into drugs like right away after she started being a, a mom again, I was smoking weed and drinking pretty regularly right away at 11. I think I was smoking cigarettes about 10 or so when she was still drinking a lot. I, I think I was about 10 when I started army crawling in her room, yeah. stealing her cigarettes and stuff, you know, stealing a couple beers out of the cooler and because she had like a little fridge down there and uh, you know it started there and you know by the time I was 13 I got introduced to heavier stuff and 
That's the first time I tried shooting heroin and overdosed on heroin, I was 13. First time I tried cocaine, I was 13. And by the time I was 15, I was selling all this stuff. I was selling weed, I was selling coke, I was selling meth, I was selling ecstasy and acid and shrooms and whatever, weed, you know. Just, you know, it was like weird because when you're young and real young like that, you can't get a job, right? So I was like, here's a way where I can have all that stuff I want to use, you know, like for free <laughs> if I sell it. It's like, who needs a job? <laughs> so I don't know, man. It's, it was, I don't know if it was a rebellion thing or what, but that was kind of how it was for me growing up you know i felt like i got gypped and i was forced to be the adult be the parent all them things and i was good at it but you know it's not what a kid should be doing right and i think on some level i knew that even though i was stuck in it i made the most of it but when i could see that she was like getting out of hand or she got in trouble and I could see that she was feeling remorseful and maybe she'd do something to like straighten her own life out that I saw that as an opportunity to go sow my wild oats and run around with all these other little bad motherfuckers, you know, <laughs> do whatever I wanted to do, uh, making up for lost time and maybe in a, in a way trying to get some jabs in at her too, you know, at the same time. Right. So you you have started like early with all of these challenges. So what was the catalyst that actually tipped the scale for you to say, you know what, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to feel like this anymore. What did something happen or was there an event or did you just get to a point in life where you just said, I this is not what I want anymore? That's a really good question, man. Um and without giving you, you know, it's like drawn sure. out because yeah. there was many years, um, you know, I had, I was a virgin until I was 17 and then I ended up getting this, uh, girl pregnant. It was my high school sweetheart. Pretty much. I swear to God, it was probably the first time we had sex. <laughs> she was pregnant. <clears throat> and, uh, so I had my oldest son when I was 18 and then we got pregnant again and i was 20 when my daughter was born and we were we you know for a while i think i viewed it as my way out of mom's place and into adulthood and i uh i i fooled myself into thinking i was ready for that because i was i took care of brandon and justine my brother and sister for so long you know it was effortless, uh, but maybe it wasn't effortless. It was just, it felt like that to me because it was the only choice I had, right? You had no choice but to learn and thrive in it. Um, but I wasn't ready for that, man. You know, her parents were really loaded. Mine, not at all. I came from nothing. We didn't have money, but her parents were loaded. So we had a house. You know, at this young age, a uh, house with a little picket fence, and it wasn't like a huge house. They, you know, bought us a little house, just swing set in the backyard, detached garage, 
three-bedroom house, and, you know, we had a three- and a one-year-old, and that was, when I left, was probably, because I, she had postpartum, I didn't know what that was, but she checked out, and, and I felt like she wouldn't talk to me about nothing, so I, like, left my kids, and that being one catalyst, uh, but of a different type, right? The catalyst that led to my self-destruction, my self-destructive path. Because uh, <laughs> I never, I couldn't wrap my head around it, but I had a victim mentality about it. I thought that her parents didn't like me, blah, blah, blah. I had a whole narrative in my mind about that situation that made me just run away. I moved up north and I just, really dove into the intravenous drug use hard for for many years and then i would struggle with that addiction for many years and suicidal ideation because i would just torture myself man about it you know i miss those kids i want to i wanted to be in their lives and i never meant to leave them I just didn't feel like there was any love in the relationship anymore. I, I was trying to leave her, but not them. And it was just the way it went. And I chose to deal with it in the very opposite way I should have, you know. There was a time there at the beginning where I had the foot in the door. I, I was calling for weeks and nobody would answer. And then finally got her to answer the phone and... um they said I could come visit the kids and it was Easter Sunday and I'll never forget it. It was 4.30 PM. You can come over. And at five o'clock, about five minutes after my daughter finally started to acknowledge me because she was hiding behind grandma's leg, like kind of confused. She was one, you know, and she hadn't seen me at this point for like a couple months, more than two months where she, she was like, and I think she started to remember me. My son was three. So he was all over me the second I walked in the door, right? And, it, like, I wasn't even there for a half hour. She just started coming over to me, like, five minutes before uh, the kitchen timer goes off. And they're like, oh, dinner's done. You got to go. My selfish, self-centered mindset told me, you know, that, that I'm never going to let them... I'm never going to put them in a position to hurt me like that again. <laughs> and I, I guess I laugh because I don't know how else to express that. But I would have had a mental breakdown when I, you know, before I found recovery telling you this story yeah. before, because it was just too much, man. Like for me to wrap my head around, like once I did the work, you know, with the sponsor and was able to understand my part in things, and the reality of the situation, not my perceived reality that I always, my own understanding was not accurate to reality, right? And once I understood that it, it all just became so clear, like my foot was in the door and I should have never gave that up, you know? I should have left quietly, you know, and 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 expressed gratitude for the for the opportunity I was given, but I left that place and I almost hit a mailbox when I peeled my truck out of there and I cracked my windshield cause I threw a fit in the, in the cab of the truck in the front of their, you know, house. And I was just like, dude, 
screaming at the top of my lungs, and I was so pissed off at them for putting me through that. So that's when I really left, and self-destruct mode began. But, I mean, after that, dude, I mean, we're talking completely estranged from my children for many years after that. I had two failed marriages, uh, you know, countless cars lost, and and I worked in restaurant industry, so it's pretty much if you're any good at it, it's pretty impossible to get, you know, fired in that line of work if you're showing up every day and stuff and you are good, you know, at what you do. Right. There's a lot of drama in kitchen life. It's just the way it is. But I... I managed to, you know, just carry on <laughs> and and think that I had this illusion of control, right, with my use. Uh, you know, I would call myself a highly functioning addict, right. alcoholic, and yeah, did that for many years. And then I was, I've had so many bottoms, Jimmy, I couldn't tell you what was different this time. Or what made it change? All I know is that I, I had quit powders for like eight years. And mind you, I thought I was such a good boy because all I did was drink and smoke weed, uh, which ultimately became problems in and of themselves. Strained my relationships. Destroy, alcohol destroyed my second marriage. Uh and I had a newborn baby at the time who was my youngest son, Wyatt. He's 11. And he was my blessing child, you know. It, <laughs> that My alcoholism wasn't really an issue when she got pregnant. And for most of our relationship up to that point at all, uh, you know, a couple nights where things got a little crazy and, you know, she'd be like, you know, kind of holding it over my head, but other than that, right. nothing big. And then when she, when, when, uh, it really took off was during the pregnancy because she was hormonal. And I think I, I had been going to a psychologist at the time I was trying it cause I was feeling really depressed because I have major depressive disorder. And I didn't know that until this time. That was when I got diagnosed with that and uh, generalized anxiety disorder. So they put me on a medicine that's supposed to address both. And it worked for a little bit, but then it made me very angry. <clears throat> like I wanted to punch holes in walls and throw chairs. And I could feel this like uprising in me, even though I didn't act on those things. It just scared the shit out of me because it was out of character for me at the time and uh so as you can imagine our disagreements between me and my wife would just get super heated at this time and i was scaring myself but then i was you know flipping the script so that i could be i don't know so i could lay my head in the pillow at night and go to sleep i guess i don't know but you know being pissed at her in my head about it so i was very spiteful and I started, that was my escape. I would go and I would drink at the pub down the road or whatever. And she would ask me to rein it in. And I would be like, you have the baby in your stomach. I don't have to quit nothing, you know? And, or I'd 
to maybe tell her what she wanted to hear to get her to shut up. And then I'd try to be sneaky, but I'd always get busted. And, uh, you know, it ended up destroying the thing. She ended up hooking up with another dude that we worked with, which made it sting all that much worse. Uh, shortly after my son was born and yeah, I just dove into the bottom of a bottle after that. I had, I was living in this town. I'd lived there for eight years. I thought I had a lot of great friends, but they were fair weather friends. And when shit got real between me and my wife, she grew up in that town. She went elementary through college age, always lived there. Uh, people chose sides. Every one of them pretty much damn near picked her side. Um, and I, I just like, it got to the point where I wanted to throw a punch everybody in the town. <laughs> and so I, I ended up moving out of that town and uh, moving in with my mom when I was 34. And when I was there, I ended up relapsing because I, I hooked up with a chick that was like 13 years younger than me. And she was a server at the restaurant I got a job at. And she was also a stripper on the side. And she was super sexy and super cool. And I was all about it, hypnotized by this chick. And I finally got her to go out with me. And she had brought, she had said she was going to stop by a friend's. She asked if I wanted to go home or if I wanted to come with. And I just wanted to keep hanging out, of course, you know, right. trying to get laid. And uh, they're smoking meth and they're doing lines of uh, MDMA, which is Molly. It's like the uh, it's like the ingredient in ecstasy that gives you the body high and the like trippy feeling and like the okay. the visuals and stuff. So pure MDMA and uh, yeah, my junkie mind. Like, cause you know, well, first of all, I'm thinking with the little head, right? I'm thinking, oh yeah, you know, I could party for a little bit, and I, I was a banger, you know, I shot up, so I was like, smoking it ain't shit. I can smoke some of this dope, that ain't nothing, and uh, do some of this MDMA, cause I was never like addicted to that. So <laughs> I had all this stuff in my head that told me why it was okay to partake and. Yeah, I sealed the deal that night, and it was, you know, whatever. It was just the start of something, because I got her to come home with me, and then she, like, never left. And then she was supplying for a little while, but, you know, I was a hustler all through my teens and big chunks of my 20s. I always sold drugs, so it wasn't long before I ended up getting hooked up with a dude who was tied in with one of the cartels and he had the plug and I was selling like tons of dope meth specifically for this dude. Yeah. Uh, and she became like, like one of my customers then. And I, I ended up getting caught up. I got one of my best customers snitched me out. He let the cops like record a phone conversation and, you know, let him in on the, workings of this deal we had set up for that night after I got off work. So they, I mean, these cops were at my work and they were watching me and they got, they got me on tape getting my stuff from my dude in the parking lot. And then they got, you know, and then dude called me 
when I left there and he said, you can't come here. You, you can't come here. My wife's up and she's pissed. Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, all right. All right. So I was like, I told my buddy, you know, just go to my house. And right after we turned the other way, instead of going to where I was going to sell the dope, I guess because the cops had what they needed already by that point, we got swarmed. And that whole experience, uh, that sucked, man. Like, I was about 120 pounds, if you can believe it, Jimmy. I weigh like 290 right now, 285. (laughs) I never, well, honestly, though, my whole life, even when I wasn't using powders, I didn't weigh that much. Uh, Like maybe a buck 45 at most. But once I got clean, clean, and I don't know, maybe age has something to do with it, slowing the metabolism, but let's just say, Jimmy, I'm trying to get myself more than half to go into the gym at this point in life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, it was like I got popped and I, I sat in jail for about five days. They tried to get me to roll a couple times. I wouldn't do it. And then they signed me out and I couldn't believe it. But I was so scared, dude, because I been doing this for many years you know living that life and you know by by the grace of god i never got caught uh like that before i was you know but i knew you know like when something like this happens they're watching your ass and if they catch you with another charge then you're dead to rights and i and i had a like that that seizure alone was like i had 90 some grams of meth on me and i had like an eight ball of coke and a bunch of like colonopins and seroquils and xanax bars and weed and uh like chewable viagras like instant relief ones and all this crazy shit scales and baggies and they only really charged me with the meth but it was split up like like an ounce of it was all in small quantities and then i had like a two ounce bag and i had another one that was a one ounce bag and Dude, let's just say, I mean, I, I was fucked with a capital F, and I knew it. So I was the whole time in jail. I'm, like, p- preparing myself for prison mentally. I'm, like, I'm fucking going. There's no way I'm not going. But then they, like, let me out. And I knew they were watching me. I knew they were camped out on my street for, like, weeks and maybe months. And I was, like, scared to do anything. My dude kept trying to get me to re-up. And I wouldn't do it, but I couldn't stop shooting up, Jimmy. I was just like calling in the credit, you know, from the front on the street. And then I was doing the, you know, selling all the shit that I got on trades and all the cool stuff I had acquired. <laughs> you know, to start selling that off after we couldn't call any more of the or collect any more of the money that was owed to me. And then I, and then I turned into the entitled asshole that was demanding people throw me freebies and stuff because all the times I played Candyman and, you know, you know, you act like this self-righteous, like, you know, like this stuff don't mean nothing to me when you're out there selling the shit. And then, you know, no, this is when you like, to me, looking back, it's like, it was, it was revealed that I was keeping score the whole time. 
who are the people that I'm going to rake over the coals and try to guilt into getting me high and, and try to make them feel small because they're not willing to come and hook a brother up and all this crap. And I remember I did the, the last thing I sold was a laptop and I'd got a bunch, uh, like, I don't know, couple, couple grams or something from them. And I ended up just doing it all in like 10 minutes, two shots. And the first one, Mero, I couldn't believe I didn't rip my vein or like miss, you know, cause my hands were trembling so bad. And the second one I pounded right in, but I went into the worst psychosis I ever had in my life after that. And it lasted for a very long time. And it was like a tailor made version of hell just for me. And I didn't know that that, that was the catalyst. Like it brought me to my knees, dude, to the point where I was like wailing out cries, like a dying animal or something on my knees in my mom's living room. She was at work. I had all the windows open. I was here. I thought my wife and her fiance, you know, were outside or ex-wife, whatever, you know, in my mind, yeah. it yeah. was always, and I thought they had my kid with them and they were like, you know, we'll let you see them just come outside. And I was like scared to go outside and I like had my garage door open and I was like inching my way outside and, it was all fucked up, dude, because it was all imagined. It was, none of it was real. But I was arguing with, bargaining with, and I went through all those different things like bargaining, explaining myself, apologizing, begging for forgiveness, screaming at these imagined people, you know, that were in the yard. <laughs> And uh, just tripping, tripping hard. And I ended up calling this guy. And that was it, man. Like, because I had a knife, this big knife. uh, I was going to drive it through my neck when I was on my knees. And I was wailing out cries to a God I didn't know was there. Basically, is the way I look at it now. You know, I was saying, help me, help me help me. And I, I meant help me do this, help me kill myself. And, um, I didn't get that kind of help, man. I ended up putting down the phone or the knife and picking up the phone. And I called this dude from NA or CMA crystal meth anonymous meeting that I had went to, you know, during one of my like stints in treatment. Cause I went to treatment like inpatient four times in that year or whatever. Uh, from when I had originally gotten at arrest all the way up until this point, um, you know, in and out of treatment, uh, trying to figure it out, couldn't keep the needle out of my arm. And I called him up and he said, I was supposed to be to work in an hour. So he was like, here's what I need you to do, man. He's like, every day I need you to call me. He said, you're going to call me rain or shine, sick or in good health. He's like, whether I answer the phone or not, he's like, if I don't answer, then you leave me a voicemail, but here's what I need you to do. 
made me write a list. He said, you're going to tell me three things you're grateful for. You're going to tell me one thing that you're doing for your recovery today. And he said, you're going to, uh, and then the other thing, it's kind of on you, but you, I want you to pray. And he said, I don't care what you say or how you say it. He's like, just speak out loud to something, whether it's the air, who cares? Just, but he said that the trick is you needed just to open your heart to the possibility that there could be something listening to you. And you and did I, that when I, you I, asked I, help. I did that right? for three weeks before he answered his phone again. Right. <laughs> he I'm, was I'm like, talking, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the time that you were contemplating ending all of this and you actually right. spoke out for help. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got help in a different way. Thank goodness. Yeah. But the point I'm I'm I'm, I'm highlighting here from what it's you're exactly saying is what he said. You spoke do. out something that you desired and that you needed and that you wanted genuinely, yeah. and you received it in a way that you weren't expecting. But you're here to tell your story, which is so impactful for others to be inspired by, brother. Yeah, and it's you're right. I did just do exactly what he was telling me that I need to do. And you didn't even know that's what you needed to do. You just at one time spoke out and look at where you are today, brother. Like appeal to something that could possibly be out there. That's greater than yourself. And that's all I did, man. And you know, it's funny because he was like, he told me some other things in that phone call. He said, I want you to, First, call your boss. He said, you're going to tell him kind of what's been going on and uh, tell him you ain't coming in today because you can't go to work like this. And I was supposed to be working an hour. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I had to come clean to my boss who ended up asking for a couple days, ultimately told me he was letting me go, which I honestly was okay with. Uh, he said, I want you to set up therapy. You've been talking about it for the last year. You ain't done shit. Set it up. So I set up a appointment for that and I ended up going twice a week for the next year and a half after that to this therapist, uh, kitty corner from my place. Uh, and then I was blessed bro to live really close to an Alano club. So I started hitting meetings there at first till I made some connections and then I was able to get rides to some other meetings, but they had meetings almost every day of the week at this club. So, and it was like three block walk piece of cake. I could bike there in like three minutes and man, I just hit it and I left this dude voicemails every day. Sometimes I leave them too. <laughs> I was just. So once you I got was, in the habit of doing something in a more positive light, it just started to snowball in that direction. You just needed something to like give you the momentum in that direction. Cause all he asked you to do was call once a day, but you're saying at some point you started to call almost twice a day, right? Or once an yeah. occasion you called more than just once to say, okay, well, yeah, I know I called you this morning, but here's something else. Right. Actually, it would be back to back because this machine cut me off, and I'm like, "Oh, I wasn't done yet." So, because I'd be telling him about some crazy shit that I learned, uh, but that was the thing, man. I just got broken down to the point where I lost all sense of self sufficiency. I didn't trust myself at all. 
anymore for anything. I didn't trust a thought that popped in my head, man. And I, I just was like a baby again, like a dry sponge. I was like, fill me up with your wisdom and knowledge. You people that I've always thought were a cult. Now I'm like sitting here, like with a notebook, fucking taking notes while people are sharing in meetings, dude. I mean, it was that, you know, that severe of a flip that switched. And I, I just was so grateful looking back that I had that thirst early on. And I really truly believe now looking back that that was divine intervention um, because I didn't find a, my own conception of God for a couple years after that, except for like, <clears throat> like this was God to me, right? Like I was at the gates of death, right? G-O-D, gift, I had the gift of desperation. I went to a group of drunks or a group of druggies and they gave me good orderly direction, right? Like the, that was God to me and it worked great for like the first two years. And then I, you know, my, my higher power, I choose to call Jesus Christ. I found later in my journey. And, you know, that was in a whole nother thing that was blessing and a total level up and brought amazing opportunities into my life. But it was like everything in, I went to so many different types of groups, different programs. I've dabbled in all of them. Like I drew from a lot of wells, you know, professional psychiatry as well. And all these things for my own recovery journey. And I think it's important that people understand that like, it's okay to not be okay. And when you get broken down to that point where, you know, all you know is that you don't know shit. That's right where you want to be. Cause then you're willing to learn, you know, and actually listen and, and not only listen and learn, but apply. That's the key, right? Like apply what you've learned, apply, follow these suggestions that people give you. Uh, and you know, if you can think about it, like running an experiment, you can try it and see if it works for you, if it doesn't, throw it out. My, one of my uh, guys, mentors, he always says, you know, get your sifter out and take what you like and leave the rest, you know, just toss the rest. It's like, everybody's got a unique set of needs and everybody's got to find those things that fill those needs for themselves. So everybody's recovery path might look completely different from the next guy. And that's all right. You know, but you never find out the things that work unless you're willing to try different things and get out of your comfort zone. I, I think that sometimes uh, in everyday life as well, we all have different needs. And I think sometimes we get caught up in listening to so many other people with their unique skill set or how they dealt with something and they're trying to apply it onto you. And then you try to do what they did for their story and journey and we get confused or frustrated why what what worked for them isn't working for us and what right. to what you just said hey i have to figure this out in a unique skill set experience my own but i have to be willing to be open to all of these mentors and supporters mm -hmm. who are trying to guide me in the right direction right amen 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just keep moving, man, and right. and keep checking stuff out, different things. Learn as much as you can. I used to read a lot. I used to read a ton of stuff, dude. Like daily devotional books. I have, and I've given a ton of them away, Jimmy. But I think I still have probably like twenty different devotion books, and I used to have probably double that. And I would read like seven, eight different ones every day in the morning, you know, and start my day off on the right foot and get prime my mind and my spirit for the day to come and the challenges that it might have in store for me, you know, and just help uh, gear, gear me up and guide me, you know, through life's challenges. Cause believe me at the beginning there, I had challenges, but I still have challenges and I'll always have challenges. They just look different. You know, today, if I'm getting caught up in a problem mentally, I need to remind myself and usually maybe, you know, as long as I'm reaching out for support, somebody's fitting to remind me. So that's a good thing because I might not have the presence of mind to really remind myself, but that, you know what, that's okay. You just need to keep pushing forward and, you know, you're going to, you're going to get through it. Like emotions are like a wave, man. And they're going to pass. They're going to calm down again. And it, we can get caught up in those moments and make some stupid, irrational decisions way too impulsive, you know, and just, and really you can't take back, you know, if you make, you can make permanent decisions on a temporary feeling and this is like no turning back in some of those cases. Right. Yeah. So it, it sounds like, it, it sounds like at some point you started to have, the awareness of the priority of reinvesting in yourself in a good way. Mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's to some people, it's a challenge to read one book, but you went from this lifestyle over here, right. To having some things happen to you in a course of events throughout a period of time to then being on the other side of not only figuring out how to educate yourself and have the, the value in mentors and supporters in a support group and those who love you and realizing the good energy that's encompassed in all of that, but then getting to a point where not only you're reading and you're learning and you're growing and you're putting all of this positive knowledge in your head to now you're doing it on such a high level, one book, two books, 20 books, 30 books, whatever it may be. But the point I'm making is that at some point, you found the value in reinvesting back into yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And look yeah. at where you are today because you started that different journey, right? Yeah. It's, it's crazy too. Cause like I always tell it, like, you know, I used to work like for the devil, right? Selling death to kids. I had my, my minions, my little gophers that would go do, you know, sell stuff for me, go on store runs, do this or that, you know, like, you know, I went from like that guy who felt like I was, I had all this control uh, and power to the exact opposite where I felt like I didn't know shit 
and I needed to learn, right? So I became the student. Like I, I just became like a student mentality. Like I needed to learn. I was desperate to learn and I had this thirst for you know just something else and and I didn't know where to find it. And yeah, man, it was it was really awesome. Like I when I was going to therapy, I was like, you know, I, I struggled with because uh, I pretty much almost lost my youngest son, you know, and I and oh, I, that was bad. that was a hard one for me because I he was my blessing child, you know. When when she got pregnant, I remember I being so teary eyed, and I'm gonna do it right this time. And here I am, dude, and I'm I made the same mistakes except worse. The shit blew up in my face hard, and I'm like, I'm never gonna see him again. And this is just the past repeating itself, right? And uh, so I asked about parenting classes. The court didn't tell me to do that, you know, nothing. I just I signed up for that, and and then I was angry, so I wanted to do anger management. And he's like, my therapist is like, pump your brakes. You're already over here doing these meetings, and you're working a program of recovery. You're in here working through some really deep seated stuff, you know, with me, and you're in this other class. So, you know, let's. He's like, why don't you finish anger management? or the parenting class before you take anger management. So I did that. And then I went into that, you know, and man, and then to be able to like take all these things. Cause then I ended up doing like recovery coach Academy at the prompting of a guy in recovery who I was like, say what? Like, I didn't think I had anything valuable to offer the stream of life at that time. You know, I was learning a lot. I had grown a lot and I had healed some, but, I was, I had no uh, feeling of self-worth to that effect where I thought that I had something good to offer anybody else. And he's telling me that I would be great at this thing and I should try it out. And so I went and took this recovery coach Academy and then I got certified by the state of Minnesota certification board as a peer recovery specialist. And around that time was when I got invited to become a co-host on the way out podcast. And then I'm talking recovery. Um, and we got numbers pretty similar to yours. I haven't checked in a while, but how you can look at those analytics with the countries and the cities and stuff. Yeah. Just, it's crazy to think. Congratulations, people, brother. Thank you. Like, it's crazy to think that people in all these different countries and stuff are, are here. It's like, and they're the resonating heck? and they're resonating with, your story. That's the so surreal part about it is that, you know, you're here and you're the individual source and someone somewhere else, maybe in a place that you've never even been to, didn't even know existed, resonated with something that you said or a story that you told or an experience that you had, right? That's the so surreal part about it. But I want to shift gears just for a quick second, man, because you talked about something and I want to make sure that that we get the full energy source of it. You you've said multiple times in this episode the word gratitude. Right? Oh. <laughs> so yeah. what I want to do real quick is in your mind, tell me what gratitude is at its at its core. What is gratitude? I think that gratitude for me, it's, it's a, just a state of thankfulness that you have 
um, for like your very existence, for the breath in your lungs, for the things that you get to have in your life. And a lot of those things I get to have, I might perceive as problems, but I'll tell you right now, they're my problems today. I get to have them and I'm grateful that I get to have them because my problems would look a hell of a lot different if I still had a needle hanging out of my arm. If I was even lucky enough to be alive to experience those problems, you know what I mean? So yeah, gratitude is just a state of thankfulness in the general sense, like your worldview is colored by gratitude. It's not dark and shadowy. It's not like you have the black cloud following you around anymore. If that makes any sense. No, it, it makes total sense. And and the other thing I want to follow up on that is, is that if someone listening to this episode is struggling with increasing their gratitude awareness within themselves. If you could tell them one or two tips that they could do right now and to start that process, just like someone told you, Hey, every day I want you to do this. And every day I want you to do that. If someone is struggling with finding gratitude or feeling like there's nothing to have gratitude for, what would you say to them? And then what would be just one or two basic things that you can say, you know what? Here's an example of what you can be grateful for and then start to radiate out over time. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, I think that it's it's super helpful to, like, keep a gratitude journal every day. Pencil in, pen in three things you're grateful for at minimum. You could do five, you could do 10, and maybe down the road, it'll be easier to do that. At first, it might be like you're sitting there staring at the piece of paper like I can't even. But you need to, the trick is to like clear your mind of the problems in life for a second and think about the, you know, because we all have, there's always something. And then I think that it just cements it in to put the pen to paper. Uh, writing is its own therapeutic kind of tool. So it's good. And then you can look back on that and, and, and it's crazy, man, because it's all a matter of what you want to focus on. You know, if we want to look at the problems, dude, that's all you're going to see all the time, all day, you're going to have no problem finding negative things to focus your attention on. It's the same thing with gratitude. If you are intentional about it, it's no problem to find some things that you're grateful for. And the more you make that into a daily practice, the more that muscle in your mind just develops and becomes a working part of the brain. Your, like I said, your world will be colored from that perspective instead of the problem focus. You know, you got to focus your attention on that and it starts with intention you got to set the intention so i would say daily write down minimum of three things you're grateful for every day and if you can do it in the morning because it's a good way to start your day now the three things that we are suggesting that they do right 
Some may try to cheat. Okay, so I want to clarify this. The three <laughs> things that you write down today can't be the three things that you write down tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, right? We're looking for three new things today and then three new things tomorrow, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, within okay. reason, within reason, you know, I mean, it, right. if you pull one out and it kind of becomes a regular one, that, that makes sense, right? Like, I mean, if you got a baby and you're just like in awe of this baby, you're going to be like, maybe you almost lost the baby, right? You're going to be like, that's going to be the standout thing. I get it. But yeah, try to be intentional of expanding your horizon, so to speak, and that, you know, the scope of which you're trying to look at your gratitude from. Like, yeah. you'd be grateful that you have shoes that don't have holes in the bottom of the feet, right? Mm -hmm. You can be grateful that you got working water, heat, whatever, you know. You can be grateful that the sun's out this morning because it's been yeah. cloudy for the last few days, you know. Just uh, think outside the box. Kind of just take a moment, you know, quiet moment to scan your surroundings and and then, like, maybe do a body scan kind of and, like, Try to relax and just seek, sink into this, uh, you know, rhythmic breathing and think about, like, the good things. Like, what's good? What's good today? What's yeah. good with me? All right. So we have talked about your story, which is truly a challenging but also an inspiring one. All right. And we have deep dived into gratitude. All right. Which now brings me into you being in a position to speak to the masses, mm. not only through experience, but through inspiration and motivation, right? And you have the two podcasts. So let's talk about and share with my listeners the two podcasts that, hey, I only have one, but you you running two of them, bro. So kudos to you for managing two, man. I thought I was doing good with just managing one, but you walk up in the sexy, cool lounge, bro. I was like, oh, I got two of them, bro. Well, I mean, I've, I always say it's God's thing because I was invited, you know, like to do this and by both accounts. So it was whatever, but. Uh, briefly, before I get into those, I, yeah. I just want to let people know it's kind of like an update, whatever you want to call it. It's been years, dude. Um, but I did uh, finally get through, uh, you know, that that period of time where I couldn't see my son. So obviously I got I got visits back with my son. You know, Congratulations. Thank you. Years ago now. Uh, and now to this point, he was like four back then. Now he's 11. And I've been clean for over seven years now. And congratulations! He, we have this amazing like relationship mm -hmm. that it's just, I couldn't describe it, but it's like, I, the biggest blessing about all this cool stuff I've learned in my recovery is that I get to like, try to impart these spiritual truths and this wisdom into my son because I never had anybody teaching me that kind of stuff when I was a kid. And I hope my hope is that it'll equip him to handle life situations a lot better than I did, you know? Um, but he's, he's his own dude and he's going to probably make a lot of his own mistakes. I'm sure. So I'll love him no matter what through his journey, but yeah, it's just cool to feel at least that I'm 
kind of trying to teach them some things of value and substance. And then also I uh, ended up, you know, I, like I said, I was like a sponge, right? So I was hitting all these meetings. I was doing all this work, deep inner work in therapy and all this stuff, all these different spaces. And I had asked uh, when I was going through that case, cause that court case went on for, God, like a year and a half or something. And it was torture, bro. Because I couldn't see my kid the whole freaking time. And I was really convinced I was going to prison. But it was like the waiting, dude. was just driving me nuts. I was getting to the point where I was just like, execute my sentence. Like, holy shit. But I didn't. I, I hung in there. I just kept going to the meetings and uh, doing the work. I ended up asking in some meetings if people would maybe consider writing a letter like on my behalf to the judge because somebody had suggested to me that I asked that in the meetings and I had a couple people hand me uh, letters a bunch of the people that I thought would write me letters didn't ever deliver on it they kept saying they were going to and they just completely fucking flaked out and I was you know disappointed man when I go to my sentencing date Half hour late, this judge comes out. And she comes out just like teary-eyed, red, puffy eyes. And she's got a handful of papers, dude. And she had 13 letters speaking on my behalf. Most of them had like fancy letters and stuff behind their names. I didn't have... You never know who you're sitting across from, mm-hmm. you guys. I don't care where you're at. If you're, you know, no matter where you're at, if you're opening up on a gut level, honest, having a heartfelt conversations, or talking about life with somebody, you just never know who you're, t- you know, talking to. Sometimes, uh, this blew my mind. But she was like, basically, she said, "I'm not sending you to prison. There's no, you're doing too much good." things out there. I was really active in service work and stuff at the time. She gave me a chance. She gave me like a, what's called a downward departure. So it's stay of imposition. They put like, I had 111 months over my head. If I got popped with any same or similars before I was completely off paper, I could, I would get sent to prison for the full ride. If I had any violations, uh, you know, same or similars. And then there's like a list of requirements that I was given that I needed to do. I did all the requirements in like the first three, two months, three months that I was on probation. And this started, you know, six and a half, seven years ago, something like that. Uh, but I was sentenced to 20 years probation. Right. And I, I worked my way down through the levels I'd say pretty quick down to like a lower level supervision. And then uh, the other day, actually just like a week ago, Jimmy, I got a letter in the mail and they released me off of all papers and my uh, felony conviction was reduced to a gross misdemeanor. So I am not a felon. That's all by the grace of God right there. Like, but that was a powerful moment to open my mail and see, you know, and then it's cool because I've kept in touch with not just the judge, who coincidentally, you guys, if you check out the Way Out podcast, I got to interview her. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, it was super awesome. Um, 
one of those full circle moments in podcasters life but yeah anyway so i'm off papers now and uh, you know like what 13 years early <laughs> it's pretty awesome feeling and i'm not a felon anymore so <laughs> congratulations on all of that uh, good you. energy and success man i mean you just never know where good energy is going to come from yeah you, you just never know i mean i think sometimes we always try to plan out our destiny and to some degree we should but man sometimes if you just open up like you said and listen and humble yourself and have gratitude that sometimes good energy comes from different directions that you didn't even think was a direction right and that's just an amazing thing man mm -hmm. truly amazing brother yeah. So tell us, tell us real quick about the podcast, brother. Tell us All about right. both, please. We want to know. So, the Way Out podcast, the one I've been on the longest. I've been on it for over five years, I think. I came on there. Well, I went on there very early in my recovery because I met a lady. I spoke at an adolescent treatment center with her and another guy, and she said she had just like did a podcast. So she sent me the link. Because I was like, dude, you told my story. Like, this chick was like the female version of me. It was weird. Plus, I, you know, I just was like enamored by that whole thing. Because that was the first time I think I ever heard my story come out of somebody else's mouth kind of deal. And I listened to it. And he says at the end, like, if you want to share your story, email us at share at whalecast.com. And uh, I was like, I don't know why, but I felt led. So very early in my recovery i was on his show episode 31 i believe it was and uh it was like i hadn't done a lot of the work yet you know i was still just really starting out so i was it was all the bad shit that ever happened to me and like no like solution focused talk or you know <laughs> there's not much of like a this is what recovery's done for me because i didn't know yet what it was going to do for me and i was still scared as shit because I was still going through my court and stuff. But then, like, at, around episode 97, he was looking for a co-host to come on, and he wanted to make some changes to the format of the show, and he wanted to start doing some topics, you know, and more, like, panel-type episodes. And all I just was, like, I was excited because at this point, I was, like, hooked on podcasts. I was listening to podcasts all the time recovery stuff and there's tons of it out there especially now now it's saturated the market is saturated with recovery podcasts but back then it was like there was a good handful of some really good quality ones and that was about it so i listened to every episode you know of those and yeah he asked me he asked me if i wanted to come on and join so i came on even though my inside me jimmy said you ain't qualified to do that dude like who are right. you kidding right? right who do you think you are you can't you, nobody wants to hear what you have to say blah, blah. but if i learn anything in recovery it's that everything you want is on the other side of fear you mm -hmm. have to step out of your comfort zone to grow that's where change happens that's where growth happens uh so i said yes and i showed up and I felt awkward and that was okay. And I did that for a while before it just kind of became easier. Yeah. 
I don't think about the countries and the cities and the the the, the numbers. Uh, I can't, Jimmy. I just got to think about it like it's me and you, brother, and we're just talking. That's what you do. <laughs> I don't think about them at all until I to like to look at analytics on occasions. But no, when we're right. doing this, man, I don't think numbers. I think energy, and I feel energy, and Amen. it's been amazing having you on this show. So before we get ready to get out of here, uh, tell us about the second podcast, man, so we can all just absorb the vibe of both of where we can find you, brother. Okay, so it's kind of a story that goes along with that, too. Like, I got turned on to this uh, movement called Mobilize Recovery a few years back. I think it started in 2018 or 2019. I think it started in 2019. I heard about it and i was really intrigued by the mission it was it wasn't just uh you know recovery advocacy in the sense of like what we're doing right now which is you know why i love doing the way out and why i love just podcasting in general is like because it ain't about me jimmy right i want to amplify other people's voices. I want to amplify other people's pathways. I want to amplify those things and help them spread that message because a lot of people in a lot of places don't have access to any resources. But thank God for technology, as toxic as it may be for some of us in our lives, or, you know, it can be problematic, sure, but it also is a blessing because with technology, people can access all sorts of different resources. And uh, I want to help people spread the word about that stuff. And, it, you know, it's just everybody's story matters, man. Everybody's, everybody's stories story. matter. Yep. So I take that for what it is. But I ended up getting, uh, I had applied in 2020 to go to uh, mobilize recovery and i got accepted but it was like covid just started and it was online only so i was like and it was during the week dude and i'm like i can't miss work for four days bro no so i the next year i applied for it again and i ended up meeting some amazing advocates and and people from all over the country and abroad even uh, at this event, made some good uh, fast friends, you know, and, uh, and we ended up putting this thing together. Like, they, well, it was, they put it together and then I got hit up one day with a call and it was like a conference call and it's J.R. Weaver, who's, uh, uh, he's like a recovery coach and he does veteran services. He works with vets mostly because he's a veteran uh, and he wrote a book called The Recovery Manifesto or The Addiction Manifesto. I'm sorry. So JR is on it. And then this other dude, Brett, who's like, uh, he has a the recovery survey podcast. And then uh, Ashley, who she's the president of the Florida chapter of NAMI, the National Association of Mental Illness. So these three call me up and they're like, hey, uh, would you come up, be willing to come on as a co-host of Recovery Revolution Live? And I was like, what? 
<laughs> and they're telling me what day and stuff. And I'm yeah. thinking, let me look at my calendar, dude. Cause oh, I work that card, huh? Well, bro, I work, I work in construction, right? So my, I'm a traffic control supervisor is my full-time job. So right. I, in the summer months and stuff, when the days are longer, I might work from, you know, I might be on the clock from like 4.30 a.m. until as late as like 9 p.m. Or if there's an emergency, like something yeah. broke, that could be there freaking all night. Uh, so I I just let them know, you know, I'm like, Thursday nights should work. And I'm like, for like half of the year, it'll be golden for sure. But yeah. I was like, for the other half, you know, when we're in season, I mean, I might not be able to make it some weeks and stuff. If that's all right with you guys, I'm down. And they said, all right. And so we started doing that. And we went for a while. But as you can imagine, I'm from Minnesota. One of them's from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. One of them's from Florida. The other one was living in Texas. And one was living in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And then he moved to Costa Rica. So we're like scattered, different time zones, all of us. And so you can imagine that led to a lot of times people couldn't show up and just schedule conflicts and it was live, which it was a cool concept. Like we had a phone or, you know, a Google voice line. So people could actually call in to the show and talk to us on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, People could do Facebook live uh, and speak to us in the chat or on StreamYard through the YouTube live they could do it. And so we, you know, it was interactive and stuff. It was cool, but it didn't work out, you know, like in the ultimate end, it was like, we had to stop. And that was about like the spring heading into the summertime. And we've been on hiatus with the show, but recovery revolution live will be coming back. I promise you guys. And up until then there's over a hundred episodes and they're all available on YouTube. Uh, so just look it up or on Facebook, you can, search recovery revolution live and you'll find the group and the page and it's got all the episodes on there as well uh and yeah it it was a lot of fun and some of the episodes you know just kind of were lacking because we didn't have the team you know like the right. team but we'd bring in guests and sometimes we just talk to the audience and talk about certain topics because there was you know, five of us on if everybody showed up. We also have LC, uh, Reverend LC Curry. She's a transgender mentor. Used to be a woman, now is fully man, uh, and she, she, life coach and a recovery coach and a mentor for people that are you know making that transition. So right. awesome human being as well. Um, yep. But yeah, so that show that we're gonna bring that show back, but it might not be live anymore so you can find the way out podcast or recovery revolution live on pretty much any podcast player because we also release the uh audio for rrl on as a regular podcast and uh so yeah like you said with yours any anything you can think of you know whether it's iheart pandora spotify Amazon Music, whatever, Google Play, anything. We're on all the streaming services. Uh, or you can go to the website for the Way Out Podcast, www.wayoutcast.com. 
and Recovery Revolution Live, like I said, is also on YouTube or on Facebook. And then you can. What about any any other social media links uh, where people can find you? And and just so uh, family around the world, you don't need to write all of this down right now. If you're trying to, uh, we'll make sure that it's in the show notes. And right. you can, there'll be links to all of his podcasts and everything else that's going on with him. So, yeah, don't worry yeah. about trying to write this down so fast as he's giving it to us. It will be in the show notes and uh, we will definitely uh, make sure that we support and resonate. So uh, oh, yeah. any other social media, uh, Instagram, TikTok, anything like that, brother? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny, though, Jimmy. People say that I talk too fast. I say, no, you just think slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i'm on i'm on facebook jason rudine uh and i'm also on instagram it's uh way out j it's like way out underscore j or something like that i think yeah. we'll have it in the show notes as well and you can always reach out to me i i'll i always want people to know if you're struggling if you heard anything you know, if you feel that you can relate to me or that I just sound like somebody that uh, you feel comfortable you could talk to, uh, by all means, reach out. I'm here to listen and support and hopefully point you in the direction of some uh, valuable resources that could help change your life because we can't do this alone, but we can do this together. And there's hope. There's hope for any one of us. So don't give it up just because you feel hopeless because that's a feeling. Feelings ain't facts. Don't listen to that. Tell that voice in your head to shut the fuck up and hit me up. We'll talk and I'll try to help point you in the right direction uh, to get the resources and the help you need. There you go. So before we close out, if there's one thing, brother, that you could tell the world, share with the world, or you would want to see from the world, what would it be? Mm, there's so much, dude. But I'll, I'll I'll just say my normal sign off, my my normal thing that I close everything I do with. I just say, I hope you have a blessed week, and just take care of yourselves and each other, because that's what we need. It takes a village, you know. We need to take care of each other. I can't take care of myself properly unless I allow people to help take care of me either. There you, you know? go. Yeah. So there you go. take care of yourselves and each other. Take care of yourself and each other. And that leads me in to my sign off. Love yourself, family, man. As much as we say it every single episode, you know what it means because it is real, right? Love yourself, love yourself enough to radiate your vibe, family. And let's make sure that we never forget, okay? Even though we do not have as much as others, man, we still have more than others. So let's continue to put good vibes into this universe so we can always get good vibes back. Jason, brother, it has been a pleasure having you on this show. And I can't wait to have you back in the Sexy Cool Lounge. And to my family, man, I love you guys. And I will see you on the next episode.